0: How many of you are waiting on the Lord for future direction? You should be. Even if you've got a job, wait on him for future direction. He may give you something better. Or he may give you something worse. No, he wouldn't give you you something worse. He'd give you something more effective. See, that's how God does. Well, my beautiful wife, Sweet Helen, I've called her Sweet Helen from the time we started dating in Bible college. And... uh, been married over 50 years now, and that's been awesome, awesome, awesome. When we had our, uh, I don't know if I told you this, when we had our uh, special wedding uh, 50th year reception that Dale actually put that on, and Scott helped him, the two guys pastoring two different churches in Concord, got together and worked in harmony. Two pastors working in harmony. Can you think of it? Uh, so they gave us a great, uh, celebration and, uh, the people, I mean, there were people there we knew in Bible college, people that we've ministered to over the years. It was just awesome. But at the end of it, we were standing in the line and, uh, people were coming by and shaking my hand, congratulations, congratulations. And I was feeling real good. And then Helen, uh, Dale, Helen wasn't even from here to that thing from me. And I don't know why people thought I was deaf or something or deaf, I mean, and they said, uh, there were six or seven that shook her hand and said, condolences, condolences. Now, it's a C word, but it's not the right word. So, but anyway, uh, God bless you, honey, for staying with me all these years. Uh, we, we pastored for uh, a, a pastoral ministry for 22 years, mostly in Tampa, Florida. We have been doing this now, serving churches all over the nation for 20. years uh it's the opposite the pastoral side was 26 years traveling for 22 years somebody says man i said don't even say it i'm not old i'm seasoned i'm seasoned we don't get old and uh but wow what a ride it's been it's, it's been awesome we love people we love serving people and um, We never come and our heart is never bang you over the head and make you feel bad about where you are, but to wash your feet and make you feel bad about staying where you are. So you'll move on. And that's how God does it. He doesn't change you by pressure. If you let him, he'll change you by pleasure. It's his pleasure to change you. He ain't going to whip you. If you want God to whip you, you're going to have to go out somewhere and find a religious man to do that. Right now, God's not in a whipping mood, but he is in a healing mood. He's wanting to heal you on the inside and restore you and make you realize how valuable you are to his kingdom. The worthiness of Jesus in you alone should make you never have a depressed day ever again. Because you don't see your worth, but he does. Jesus, uh, Jesus and the Father never calls me what I think I am. They call me what they know I am. And I love that, that God would never lower his, his uh, uh, love and sensitivity to me to call me an idiot or a jerk or stupid. And we hear some of, the, some of the real extreme guys, even on TV uh, from the Midwest, say things like that. And God talked to me and he said, dummy. You know, God won't call you a dummy because he created you. He won't, he won't slam himself like that. He didn't create dummies. <laughs> he created precious daughters and sons. But as we travel over all these years, and even when we were in the pastoral side of ministry, it it is inevitable that you'll find churches that no matter what, when they get together, they're going to have a party. They're going to have a party. And so they hype their worship, they hype their praise, and, and they're going to have a party, and they don't realize that, they don't understand that God has moods. God's not moody. You're moody. You're the one that changes at a moment if somebody ruffles your feathers. God's not moody, but he has sovereign moods. And sometimes God's in a, a laughing mood, and, and, uh, but the people have made a, a movement. See, don't make a movement out of God's moves. There's people, years and years, tried to make the laughter thing be a universal, that's what God's doing in the church. And then it was like jerking and rolling and doing all this stuff. And, and there's nothing wrong when people are overwhelmed with the Lord, and they express it that way. But it, once you make a movement out of it, it becomes a religion. Uh, instead of response to God, it becomes a religion. Um, sometimes God's not in a party mood. To be honest with you, in these days that we're facing right now and what the church is going through and what our world even around us are going through, God, God's pretty somber right now. He's still got joy. He's still got victory because that's who He is. But I think God's more in a weeping mood right now. I've, I've sensed in the last year, uh, there's been times as I was praying and in the presence of God, a, a spirit of weeping just came on me, and I don't even know why. I mean, She didn't say anything bad to me. She didn't threaten to leave me. But I just started weeping. And it's like the Holy Spirit says, Son, I, I want you to tap into my moods. I want you to understand that you're living in a day where everybody thinks, Well, if I'm not happy, if I'm not victorious, if I'm not ecstatic, there uh, must be something wrong with me. Listen, if you're really close to God and sensitive to God, you're going to start having some weeping days coming up. You really are. God's about to reveal things to His true remnant church that we don't even want to see, actually because it's going to, have to, it's going to have to do with a lot of the reality of what some church people think they are and how he sees through that. God spoke to the prophet, Joel, and he says, tell the priest they need to start weeping between the altar and the porch of the temple. Now, I don't know where we thought that ended, and God loves us having a good time. There's no, we will have some good times. I mean, good times. And I love high praise. I do. I, I mean, I'm the kind of wild guy. I'll run and dance and whatever. But I tell you, God's weeping right now for the... Not, listen to me carefully. Not only for the lostness of people that aren't redeemed, He's weeping for the perversions that's in His own church. The liberalities. The looseness. He's not angry but he is weeping and he says tell the priest to weep between the altar and the porch of the temple in Ezekiel he says to Ezekiel he says I'm sending and this was the city of Jerusalem he said I'm sending messengers to Jerusalem and some of them are going to have weapons of war destruction these are angels this is in uh, Ezekiel I forget the exact chapter but Uh, maybe nine or whatever, but he says, uh, he says, I'm also sending a couple of messengers that have linen on, they don't have warrior's outfits on, and they have an ink horn on their side. And he said, I'm telling those messengers to go through the city of Jerusalem. Because see, what happened is uh, the the priest and the temple, this is where God said, they keep shoving me out. They push my glory. In fact, uh, you'll read in Ezekiel 7, 8, 9, and 10, where God's grieving because they keep pushing his glory out of the house. Until finally it has to rest up on a mountain away from the temple. Do you know that there are churches today that don't realize it, but because they're so programmed and so oriented toward doing their stuff, they actually are pushing God out. You don't want to push God out, people. Of all the days we need the presence of God, and I mean the real true manifested presence of the Lord God himself in this place, it's today. And so he's grieved over that. And he says, I'm going to destroy uh, people in Jerusalem. But he says, before I send the messengers with the weapons of war, I want these guys with the ink horns to go around. And every time they see a person who's weeping and crying over the lostness of the city, I want you to put a mark on them. See, some of you think every mark has got to be satanic. This was a mark of holiness. This was a mark that specified when when you guys with the warring instruments go through that town, when you see a man or woman with that mark on them because they've been weeping and crying instead of partying and being loose in their living, I want you not to harm them. They're the ones that get to live. I need to say this because some people think that crying and weeping is a a sign of weakness or or stress. Uh, Man, when you have God's compassion for people, you're going to weep a lot more. Not because you don't believe God's doing anything. You're going to weep. You're not weeping to get God moved so he'll do something. You're weeping over those people to release and break the powers of hell that are on their lives. Did you know tears are a weapon that God can use? In these days, God's about to raise up a last day church pastor. Who I say last days? We don't know the charts and the eschatology. You know, they've had to rip up charts uh, from the year 2000. They started ripping them up. They were all wrong. They missed it. We don't know when God's coming back. We don't know exactly how He's coming back, but we know He's coming. And I think it's soon. I think we're close. I sense that more and more every day. I'm, I'm wanting to live more and more right, not because I'm afraid of not going to heaven, but I sense I need to live so right that I'll have extra power and anointing that I can help some of these people get to heaven before he gets here. Amen. But God's about to uh, cause the church of America, and he's going to have to do it miraculously. Tracy, he's going to have to do it miraculously to be more concerned about the state of the hearts than they are the state of the arts. We've got a lot of churches that are performing. Man, they have pageantries. They have all kinds. I mean, they, they're more worried about the skillfulness and the excellence of how they worship rather than worship, than who they worship. And God, come and change us tonight. Let this ministry, because you're about to set them on a flaming fire of, of evangelism and reaching souls, let this ministry start having more concern about the state of hearts than our arts. I believe God's about to do something here where he's going to raise up a people in the body of Christ, even though we believe in the prosperity of God and the blessings of God and the favors of God. I believe God wants to bless people financially, but God needs to raise up a church that's more concerned about the posterity of another generation serving the true God than uh, 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 than getting prosperity from God. God, I'll never turn down these extra blessings than if people here tonight want to give me an extra love offer and just put it, slide it right there or in here. I don't care about that though. God, let this church be more concerned, not about a budget of money, but let them be concerned about reaching the souls out there so that you'll have another generation when we leave this earth. See, that's the problem with the modern American church. They're all so engulfed in their own uh, party and their own uh, uh, celebration that even the parents aren't really training and teaching their children how to love God, how to walk through trials and keep themselves clean. Uh, And and so we're going to lose a whole generation if we don't begin to concentrate more on a posterity that leaves God another generation than our prosperity that makes us happy while we're here. God, do something in us tonight to change us to become a great commission people. I believe God's about to raise up a a new people blue that'll be more than willing, no matter what the price is, to bear the cross of Jesus. And they won't be near as concerned about wearing crowns of glory and honor. I, I love it when we go to conferences and they honor the speakers. I love it. But sometimes we put so much honor on the person's but God needs us to want to bear the cross of Jesus. The day's coming where Christians will quit complaining that they're having trials. Trials are really a blessing from God to cause you to be able to reach somebody else that's watching your life. We ought to be so close to Jesus in our love that we can have a a new trial come against us, whether it's our family or us personally or our finances or our physical life. We should be able to have new trials without thinking God's punishing us for an old sin. Paul said, I joy... I can't tell you that I'm, I'm uh, uh, every night saying, Oh, Lord, hurry, hurry, give me another trial. Yay, yippee, yay, Jesus. No, no, no. But I tell you, I want to get to that place where trials don't set me back and make me feel less and spiritual and make me go into a pity party or a desperate party. God, let us us be a people that realize your last day remnant are the ones that have specifically been gifted and honored to bear the cross of Jesus, not with a chip on the shoulder, oh, it must be my cross to bear. You ever heard anybody say that? Uh, you're bearing the wrong cross. See, the cross that Jesus has for you doesn't have the sin and the pain and the sickness and the disease and the guilt on it. The cross that Jesus gives you, he's already died on it, so to speak, and it is clean. It's not a cross that weighs you down. It's a cross that lifts you up. And let us understand the difference of that, Lord. I believe in these last days, the Lord's about to uh, cause the church to be and, and I like this because uh, I, as I was praying over it today, that you're going to start being filled with more compassion for souls and you're going to forget this passion for goals. We have our organizations. We've got people from the top. And, and it, this isn't Foursquare. This is everywhere. But they, they, they put an expectation on you. You need to reach this by this. And you need to do this by this and this. And, and it's not wrong that we have goals. But God raised up a church that's more concerned about winning souls than they are reaching goals. Because I want to tell you something. If you'll start winning souls, you'll far exceed any goals you have. You don't have to say, let's have 200 by Easter. If you start winning souls, all of you, not depend on it happening from the pulpit and this altar here, and you start touching lives, this church will have to be filled up three times by Easter. I see nothing in Scripture. All the years that I've served the Lord, I've seen nothing in Scripture that really indicates that the Great Commission is supposed to be an orchestrated, organized effort by a corporate body of believers. And a lot of Christians think, well, when are we going to go out there to that street and and blitz the... uh, And when are we going to do this? When are we going to go minister to the homeless? When are we going to go minister? All of that is great, but that is not what I see in Scripture as far as the power of the Great Commission. The Great Commission was never really intended to be a corporate thing that churches do together in a program. The Great Commission is supposed to be an overflow of the power and the spirit and the love of Jesus Christ in your life. And you now become a Great Commission person. You don't go to Great Commission events, but you become a Great Commission person. Hear me carefully. Yeah, but I'm not in the good part of town. Ta- you know, wherever you are, I've got a terrible job. I mean, I'm in the midst of hell with my, in my neighborhood. I don't know where you are, but that's the greatest place to express the Great Commission. The Great Commission, isn't a, it isn't a, a, a compilation of theology and doctrines and tracts. I, I used to hate it when I'd see people, and I, I, were, I was with them. We'd be in the airport bathrooms, and these guys would throw chick tracts over the bathroom doors. They had a captive audience. Nobody's going anywhere. But all those tracts did was say, if you don't get done quickly and repent, you're going to go to hell while you're still on that toilet. <laughs> I, I just don't see that's how God wants to reach people. I mean, it has worked. But God, let us know the Great Commission never was intended to be a threat against somebody's eternity. It's supposed to be a revelation of Jesus out of us. Out of us. Not the Jesus in the Bible only, but the Jesus that's in me is so great, so powerful, so true, so pure. I can't help but overflow him to you today. The true Great Commission spirit won't let you pick what color of people you minister to. (laughs) Or what society they're in. Well, Brother John, I don't mind ministering to the rich people. I ain't ministering to those beggars. The Great Commission Spirit will cause you to quit judging every beggar like he he should have a job somewhere. A lot of you have bypassed opportunities to minister for God because automatically your heart said, that guy needs to get a job. That is true with some, but it's not true with all of them. I would rather make a mistake by ministering to too many people, even the ones that don't deserve it, you say, well, you didn't deserve it either. I'd rather be guilty of overgiving and over-loving than to cheat somebody. Father, heal us tonight, Vicky. heal us tonight of stereotyping and labeling people. Even when it comes to the people that are involved in the lifestyle that's contrary to the creative order of God. Did I say it good enough? But we say things like, they're homosexual, they're gay. I don't know what they are, but I want to tell you something. Once you label them, you're saying they have to stay there because they're not worthy until they repent. You know what? God, forgive us and let us quit labeling people. We still have our standards according to the Word of God. We don't compromise. But God, we're sorry that we exclude so many people because we've got them in our own little labels. Honestly, some of you need to quit labeling yourself. I'm this, and I've been this all my life, and I'll always have this problem, and I've had mental problems, I've had emotional problems. You know what? You need to rip the labels off. If it ain't Libby's Libby's Libby's, it shouldn't be on the table, table, table. Some of y'all are too young to appreciate that one. (laughs) God's desire tonight with all of us is to sow. This sounds like a new age word, but it really isn't. God, most of the new agers and the, and the satanic realm, they steal words from God. You know, God knew what dancing was far before people started banging it around and, and, and doing the crazy dance. God wants to fuse himself into your life. See, we have God compartmentalized. We've got him in our back pocket or in our left lapel pocket, or we might have him in our pocketbook. And when we need him or we want to show him something, we'll take him out and present him. You know, God wants to so fuse himself into you, not to be an attachment to you. Some of y'all think, well, all I've got to do is when I get up there to the pearly gates, even if I didn't live good, flash my Jesus card and they'll have to let me in. Jesus, would you forgive us tonight that we have actually even gone places in what we call worldly entertainment or social life, and all of us Christians need some social life, but some of you have actually gone to places where you had to stick Jesus in your back pocket because you were too ashamed to tell them that he was your Lord. If you're ever anywhere where you can't let Jesus be in the forefront, say, you know, first of all, I want you to know I love Jesus Christ, you know, you shouldn't be there. That's just all there is to it. He wants to fuse himself into you and Lisa's life in such a way that he fuses himself into your spirit life, into your emotional life, into your soul, into your intellect and your mind and into your body in such a way that he keeps coming out through you in the sense of miracles, signs and wonders. I'm telling you, if you'd let God have his way to complete that process of fusing himself into you, Where you don't become a worker for him, you become his expression. The Bible says this very clearly, that Jesus was the express image of the glory of God. And the Bible indicates that we're supposed to be the same thing because Jesus gave us the same glory. It's sad to me when somebody says they've been with you or they've been in a situation or or at a ball game and then all of a sudden they say, you're a Christian? That's kind of sad they have to ask. I want Jesus to be so flowing in my life and my attitude, even through my eyes. Uh, Men, listen to me. Your eyes, when you gawk at a woman in the wrong way, your eyes aren't projecting Jesus Christ at all. You're projecting a satanic spirit. I want Jesus to fill my life so much that even my eyes won't project anything but Jesus' love. I want him to fill me so much, Beth, that... My mouth won't just all of a sudden shoot off in my emotional reactions to things that are happening. Do you know that you think you can't control yourself, but when you're in love with Jesus and you let him heal you as much as he's going to heal you, your mouth won't run you. You'll you'll direct your mouth. Hmm. Isaiah 53 verse 8. What a verse. It, it breaks your heart in one way, and yet it stirs us to action in another way. Isaiah is saying by prophecy about Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53:8, he says, Who is going to declare his generation? You see, people, we're the, we're the last day generation. I really believe that. I, I told you last night, there, there'll be more people born. It isn't like I'm saying 10 years. We're the last day whole generation. I don't think there's going to be another generation. If there is, you tell me about it because I'm going to be up there. Who shall declare his generation? You think angels are going to come down now and make everybody hear Jesus? No, no, no. Jesus, the Lord, depends on us. Watch this. For he was cut off from the land of the living. And why was he cut off from the land of the living? Because of your transgressions and my transgressions. Do you know that uh, Jesus, of cor- according to destiny and sovereignty and all that, we know he wouldn't have ever married. We understand that. But this verse says he couldn't have married if he wanted to because we cut him off from living. And now he wants more generations, but who's going to declare it? Do you know why God said David was a man after my own heart and David being that terrible sinner? But the Lord said he's a man after my own heart because he will do my will and declare my will to the generation he's in. He's not waiting on a better day. He's not complaining and saying, well, I can't do it because of the bad days. David had such a heart to show people the presence of God that he always showed the will of God in in his own generation. I want you to begin to understand you're not just here. You're here because God sovereignly put you here for this generation's sake. You don't live for yourself. You don't even get blessed for yourself. Quit quit, uh, hoarding up. See, Christians are hoarders. They hoard their blessings, they hoard their uh, anointings, they hoard their gifts. I mean, they just love piling it up, and then they'll go into churches and and try to show them off at one time. (laughs) Don't hoard your gifts. You know, every time Jesus healed you, it was so somebody else could probably get healed through you laying hands on them. He always does something for us that we can do that same thing for somebody else. He gives me wisdom when I need it. Why? Because I'm going to be able to give somebody else wisdom. With the same comfort wherewith he has comforted you in your times of sorrow, so shall you, by the anointing of the same Holy Spirit, be able to comfort others in their sorrows. So let's quit weeping in our sorrows, and let's take those sorrows and make them work for the glory of God and minister to somebody else that's got sorrow. What a way to get free. Do you know the greatest antidote for depression? It's not medication. It's not hype-up mentalities. and The greatest antidote for depression is expression when you express something of god to somebody else's life it breaks the power of depression in your life do you know why many people live in depression because they're not expressing to people they draw in they cave in and they're just in there they know god loves them but man this isn't good but when you'll get out of yourself and do something for someone else even when you don't even feel like it something's going to happen that breaks that power over you had a lady in our church in Tampa that was a manic depressive, and it wasn't just depression, but she had, you know, how, how the, the guys can figure it out today. Well, she's got biological, chemical, all this stuff working together. I don't care if it's biological, chemical, emotional, or whatever. God wants to heal depression, and uh, she had it for years, and she couldn't even live a day or two without going into extreme darkness and, and suicidal tendencies and she came several times to get prayer and we'd pray over, we'd bind that spirit, we'd cast that thing out, we thought. And for a season, for a little bit, she was better, but it kept coming back, coming back, coming back. Finally, one time she's coming up and the Lord says, turn your mic off, John, you need to talk to her personally, get one of the elders up here with you. And the Lord had me just tell her, the, the, there's two things that's stopping you from your deliverance. One, you have real bitterness towards your husband. You're still living with him, but you hate him. She's going, <laughs> and all God's saying, he's not chiding you. He's saying, you need to get released of that. I want to heal you. And I said, the second thing that God wants you to do is start baking a cake every week and taking it to a shut-in somewhere. You think that'll heal me? I said, I know it will. And she she did obey that. And she started baking. This, this was like maybe two months. She baked a cake every week and took it to somebody that was a shut-in, whether in the hospital, nursing home, down the road, whatever. Within two months, she was totally delivered and free from depression and never had it ever again. Without medication, we didn't cast out the devils. <laughs> but she started expressing love instead of, ingesting self-hate try it sometime you'll be amazed save you a lot of money on prescriptions who's going to tell my generation jesus says i you do know jesus isn't here anymore don't you I know his spirit's here, but guess what? His spirit's in you. It's not like floating around without a body. There's no spirit of Jesus floating around the earth. Every spirit of Jesus, the Bible says, and because you are sons, he has sent into your heart the spirit of his own son, Jesus, whereby now you cry out, Abba, Father, which is more than, oh, good, I've got a daddy. It's like I have the same power, advantages, ministry, and anointing as Jesus did because I'm a joint heir with him. Whew. Who will declare his generation? Look at, look at Psalm 22, verse 30 and 31. Real quick. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up there on the screen, I think. Yeah, good. Good, good, good. I love this. A posterity, not a prosperity. A posterity shall serve him. They're talking about Jesus here. This is a, this is a prophetic uh, utterance toward uh, Jesus and the kingdom of God. A posterity shall serve him, and it will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. The more we win souls because of the overflow of Jesus, not because God will give us brownie points and, and he's going to give us more favors if we'll do something for him. You never work for God. It grieves him that you work for him. But he does want to so empower you that you can't help but let works of God flow out of you. And, and, and it says here, a, a, a posterity shall serve him and it'll be recounted. In other words, oh hallelujah, if we win souls and another generation, some of you parents keep giving God godly seed through your witness and testimony and prayers over your family, Jesus will always have a generation that declares who he is. <laughs> We need to declare it with as much zeal and power as the people who are there touching him or being touched by him. And it says they will come and declare his righteousness. Watch this. We're going to see a lot of people born again, brother. They're going to come and declare his righteousness to a people who will yet be born. Do you know there's a lot of people in your neighborhood that aren't born yet? They're physically born, but they're not born. They need to be born into the kingdom of my God. And the only way they can be born into the kingdom of God is for somebody to take Jesus to them and minister to them and let them know how to receive Jesus Christ. We know there's some sovereign times where God shows up in a vision or a dream and people receive Jesus, and that's awesome. But that's not the norm. Jesus let us... Quit wasting our grace. Let us give a lot of grace to some people. You know you know who, who needs the grace the most? The ones you can't stand to be around. Do you know that Jesus wants to save, deliver, and minister to the person you hate? <laughs> I hope you don't hate anybody, but probably there's some in here that do. He doesn't exclude them near as quick as you do. And then one other verse, and then I want to just share with you just a few more minutes on some principles here that will help us realize how we are a, a, a great commission people. First Peter 2.9. I love this scripture. And he's speaking to us people. He's not just speaking to the Jewish people. Here he's speaking to Christians, born again, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I want you to take this, whether you believe it or not, you might say, well, that ain't me. Well, then you're lying, because it is you. But you, say me. me. You are a chosen generation. I want God to heal some men and women in here that think you're nothing but leftovers. Yeah, God has to use me. He don't have anybody else. Boy, he sure don't have much to work with. Shame on you. You know what? The Bible says this. You didn't choose me. Some of y'all think, I got so nasty. I got so bad. I got so down. I got so demon-possessed. I had to choose God. And finally, I let him in. You know, you are wrong. Eh. God chose you while you were hating him. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were too weak to even look up and say, Jesus, he died for us. And when you were enemies of God, Romans 5, 9 says, even when you were enemies of God, he sent his son to die for you. And in John 15, it says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Man, when I was a kid, you wouldn't tell it now because I'm so athletic looking, Uh, but when I was a kid, uh, about the sixth or seventh grade, I was the last one chosen on the teams all the time. And I'm going, what is this? I'm better than all of you, I thought. Uh, (laughs) And it hurts to be the last chosen. Even when they choose you, you're saying, well, you know. But man, God blessed me and I became more athletic than they started asking me. They asked me to play college ball and all this, and I like that. But the thing is, some of y'all have always felt like I'm just a leftover. Nobody would really choose me. I'm nothing. Can I tell you tonight, Jesus says, I've chosen you. I purposely selected you to be on my team because what you think you have nothing to offer me, I can turn that, touch that, and make it become powerful to change somebody else's life. You don't have time to compare gifts. Well, that lady and that man has all these gifts to give to God. You know, God would say, wow, that's pretty cool. But when you give him even your brokenness, maybe that's all you can give him tonight is brokenness. God says, man, what a gift. My, my greatest weakness, brother, when I give it to God because I want him to be glorified, my weakness becomes a gift to him. I thank you, Lord. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I ordained you. Brother John, I've never been to seminary. I've never been to Bible college. Thank God. We've got too many of those running around. Most of the guys from seminary that I know have ruined the power of God. Oh, they're great with theology, but they, there's no power flowing. You know what? God needs people that are ready to be used by the Supernatural. I thank you, God, it's never been my skill. You know, honestly, and you can ask my wife, and she's too kind to really agree with this, but most of the real success and ministry and breakthrough and miracles that we've seen through our ministry did not happen because of my professionalism, my skillfulness, or my artistic abilities. It happened through my weaknesses that have been redeemed by the Lord. He's used more of my failures redeemed than he has my gifts that I offered him. I'm not saying go out there and live a cruddy life so God can use you. Uh, You don't want to do that. But it says you're a chosen generation. I want you to understand tonight, he chose you. And the second part of that verse is you're a royal priesthood. Listen, listen, when Jesus Christ saved me, he delivered me from being a royal pain. And now I'm a royal priesthood. Do you know what a royal priesthood is? It's a priest that knows how to serve, connect God to people and people to God without it being a religious thing, without it being a, a prideful thing. It's more of a humble servitude. It isn't like uh, showing my gifts. It's, it's a priest is so humbled, a true priest of God is so humbled, he wants God to be able to touch people, but he wants people to be able to touch God at the same time. And God's chosen you to be one of those priests that can go out there and help people that will never ever see or touch God, but you can be the connector. You can be the connector. And a royal priest is one that not only is a servant priest, but he's got authority. People, I wish you understood how much authority and power you have tonight through Jesus. You don't have to gather 20 people together to pray over one sickness. It's not wrong if you call people to join in prayer with you. I'm not against that. But I've got to tell you, there's times where you won't be able to do that. You need to have power inside of you that you can speak to the sickness and command it to go. Because you're a royal priesthood, not just a priesthood. And then he says that uh, a, a holy nation. Aren't you glad we're holy? How many of you know you're holy? Raise your hands. Well, some of you are going to find out. You see, you think holy is your, your actions. You think, well, I, I wasn't even holy today. I, I, I chewed my husband out, and it wasn't holy. I put some holes in him, but it wasn't holy. <laughs> My wife is so precious. She won't. She she never loses her cool, but her eyes'll burn a hole in you. Oh man, her eyes'll burn a hole right through you. She's never told me to shut up ever. She says, "Honey, rest your lips." It still hurts, but it's a lot nicer. You're not an unholy. Listen. Hear me, you're not an abomination. Take that abomination off of the Word. You're not an abomination to God. You're holy to God. You're sacred to God. Do you know that God considers you to be a lot more sacred than you do? That's why some of you abuse your body. You don't think you're sacred. Brother, we live in the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the temple. And then that last part of that verse says... uh, you are a peculiar people. I've looked at some of you and listened to you. You are very peculiar in a good way. Peculiar in the Bible never means weird and stupid. We got all kinds of, I'm gonna just say it this way. Uh, we got all kinds of maniacs. Man, it's all about shocking you of what I can do. God's not into craziness. But we are peculiar in the sense that we're the ones that go through trials and we stay upright and praise God when everybody else falters. That's how he wants you to be peculiar. Peculiar with your power, peculiar with your victory, peculiar with your heart toward God, and peculiar with how you love them, and they know you ought to be hating them, and they've even said some things to you at times where they wished you they tried to stir you to hate them and you still love them, and they'll say to you, You're peculiar. <laughs> How do you do that? Lord, would you allow this church to become very peculiar? Let them not be natural, normal, or neutral. Free this church from ever becoming professional and let them stay prophetical. I'll I'll go listen to worship teams all over the nation if I know they're prophetical. If they're up there showing off and showing their skills, I'll listen to them for a while, but it don't help me. Listen, Allison and all you worship leaders, we need you to be prophetical. You've got to be prayed up. You've got to be stirred up. You've got to be in tune with Jesus. You've got to represent what he wants to say to the people, even through songs. We need prophetical power coming out of the pulpits, not professional power. Do you know God could give you a spirit of prophecy and you could prophesy on those whatever they are that makes all that noise? <laughs> I've been in services across the nation where people were playing instruments and doing, and and the spirit of prophecy came through their hands, and people started uh, 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 repenting and weeping, and nobody was singing; they were just playing. But the prophecy of God started going through the instruments. No way, brother John. Yes way. Brother John, I'm not talented. You know, I don't know that God needs your talent. What he needs is your sincerity in your heart. (laughs) He can make you sound talented even if you sound bad. We had a guy on our worship team in Tampa, man he was, he had a uh, I, uh, you don 't know him, and it 's okay. He was like a cotton mouth he'd get words mixed up all the time and and he couldn 't stay on tune and and uh, he, he was out of rhythm, but the people loved him because his heart was so right. He, we had at least five different worship leaders, and this guy was their favorite. I mean, he got up there one night and he started saying. Uh, you know that song? I love you in the name of Jesus, brother. I love you in the name. Of Jesus. He starts saying, "Oh, hallelujah! I love you in the name of Jesus, Buster. I love you in the name of Jesus, Dister." I said, "How? Stop!" <laughs> oh, that was funny. It, it, we we loved it, Scott. Now, you, if Scott were here, he could just keep going on this guy. I don't want to do that. It's not your talent or your skill; it's your heart. you know that you are a child of predestination. You know, there's people that are teaching you to try to live up to your destiny, but you've got to understand something. When God predestined you, he, he did something to set your life in order before you were even conceived. That's why it's called predestination. And there's not a person in here that God in His heart did not put His heart and His hand on you, even when you were formed in your mother's womb. I don't care if it was a rape or a molestation, or we didn't even want to have a baby. I don't know about all that, but I know when you were born, God already had His hand on you. And He predestined you to become somebody so special. Here's the thing that keeps most people from being an automatic Expression of the glory of God and be a, become a great commission person. See, most Christians are, are permission persons. God, can I do this and still go to heaven? I hate it when people ask me questions. Can I still smoke and go to heaven? I said, yes, but don't breathe on me. <laughs> and you're probably going to get there before me if you don't stop that stuff. <laughs> Now, I just lost some of you because you may still smoke. I don't know. You know, don't worry about it. God will deal with you. (laughs) It ain't like a sin that sends you to hell. I I know that much. (laughs) I think it's wrong when we want to live on the sly because God has grace on us. When we ought to be so in love with him that he did have grace on us that we want everything out of our life. That's a bondage or a stronghold. The only reason God doesn't want people to be in habits, drinking, drugs, uh, by the way, there is a habit of judging and, yes. and uh, dark living and doomsday, that's a habit. But the reason God doesn't want you to be under those habits like that, he's always desired, and the Holy Spirit is jealous. The Bible says, for uh, even though the Holy Spirit dwells in us, this is in James 4, 6, even though the Holy Spirit dwells in us, he's jealous for us. He wishes he could have all of you instead of just part of you. And the only reason God's dealing with people about bondages and strongholds and all that stuff, it isn't because it'll make him love you more. He can't love you more. He's love. But it's because because he wants you never to be controlled by anything other than being directed by his spirit. That's the whole deal. Children of destiny, you must realize this, that God never sticks you It's that first point if you want to do it, guys. God never sticks you in a place. He never forces you in a place. You are strategically placed by the Lord. But Brother John, I live in a bad family. Brother John, I live in a bad neighborhood. Brother John, I have a terrible job. All the people around me are heathens. Can you pray for God to give me a job with Christians? And I'll say, absolutely not. What kind of person are you? You do God's best work in the midst of people that don't agree with you. If your heart's right. But remember this. God doesn't stick. Even Joseph. Look at how they abused him. His brothers Colton. His brothers beat him. He, they molested him physically. They did. They molested him. They beat him. And they threw him away like a piece of trash. And he suffered in, a, in an opposite of his dreams. He, he lived in the opposite of his dreams. As far as naturally and physically. He lived in the opposite of his dreams for over 25 years. Where's this God that gave me that dream? Some of you can't go two years without blaming God that He's messed you up. And yet when Joseph was elevated to the position by the Lord for keeping his heart right, that's all, just keep your heart right. You don't even have to try to get spiritual. Just keep your heart right. And God lifted him up to be the second in command of the whole nation of Israel, of Egypt. And his brothers come up to him. Of course, his heart's broken. And isn't it something? He wasn't angry at them. and says, look at them. I will get them. His heart was broken the first time he saw them, Danny. He said, oh my God. And as he looked at them from his cleaned heart, he saw how broken they were and how condemned they were. And it bothered him that they were still hurting over something that happened 25 years ago. And then he says these words to them. He says, you meant all this for evil, but my God meant it for good. And in Genesis uh, 43 or so, he says, by the way, or 45, he says, by the way, you didn't send me here. God did. I want you to get ready to quit blaming your ex-husbands or ex-wives or fathers or mothers that they caused your life to wind up where it is. No, no, no. You can't blame a person for where you are. But you can begin to praise God that he knew where you are and he's going to do something with you where you are. (laughs) I love that one verse, Uh, Exodus 1 verse 5 is is on the same thought, Uh, it says, "And, and Joseph had so many brothers and so many family members, and they all came to Egypt, listen to this verse, Exodus 1 5, they all came to Egypt, but Joseph was already there. Can I tell you right now that I don't know where your Egypt is. I don't know where you've strayed. I don't know where you're in bondage and darkness. And some of you won't ever share that out loud with us and you don't have to. But I don't know where you think you are and God's forgotten you. But let me me tell you something. Wherever life lands you, Russ, there will be somebody that's already there. His name is Jesus. Our Joseph. I can't go anywhere, even if I failed and made that place happen. David says, even when I sinned, I made my bed in hell. Oh my God, when I got there, you were there waiting on me. To heal me and to deliver me. Let's quit griping about where we are. Let's thank Jesus that he was there first to prepare for us. Joseph said to his brothers, God sent me here so that I could save your lives. Lord, help us to have a heart that we want to save lives. We want people to get saved. We're through this. Uh, bless us and make us feel good and meet our fight. God, we want to start seeing people saved. I'll tell you something. When you want to start seeing people saved, hallelujah to God, you can just pretty well trust that God has you in a sovereign place. Amen. Second point, there's four of these. Yeah, we're okay. Sorry last night, what you gonna do? Kick me out? <laughs> <I'm kidding>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we're losing them by the Joes. <laughs> Not only are you strategically placed, but always remember this. Quit comparing yourselves to everybody else that seems to have more anointed ministry. Eric, you've got as, as much of anointing and giftedness and purpose of God in you than I have, and I have been doing this for 48 years. And brother, I'm going to tell you something. you got just as much in you right now tonight. You are fully equipped, and you are furnished by God. Or if you want me to get belligerent, you're furnished by God. <laughs> Do you know that God gives you everything you need? There's so many scriptures I could land on, but even Second Peter says that, that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's blessed us with all of these things. Ephesians 1.3 says we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Second Timothy 2 or 3.15 says uh, that he has perfectly furnished us. That means he's given us everything we need on the inside to make sure our furnishing agrees with God's glory. I know some people put some bad furniture in you. That molestation, that abuse, that rejection, that abandonment, that sin that they did against you. I know some bad furniture got into you, but you know what I love about Jesus? He goes in and totally demolishes the bad stuff and puts in the good furniture. Righteous furniture. That's why I don't have to let my life react out of a broken down a uh, piece of furniture that was in me in a moment of panic. Because you know what? That furniture's gone. Jesus, you have given me all the furnishings that I need to carry on the good work of God. Third point is this. You are a living force and you are empowered by God your problem is that you become a fortress and you're waiting on god to bring your supplies you're in there every now and then you'll take a peace shot at the enemy oh look he's coming around again huh? i'm gonna get a shot at him (laughs) that's what most churches are doing almighty fortress is our god well he is and i understand that song but most churches live in a fortress mentality Get all of our people in here. Get them out of the world for a couple hours. We can't even get them in here for four hours now. They used to come at least four hours a week. Now you can't even get them in the sanctuary for two hours without them going. And we fortify ourselves and restrict God because the whole power of God's gospel is the motion of going. And you shall go. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the man Jesus, not the God Jesus up there. While he was here, the man Jesus, he anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power. Why? He went around. He went around doing good stuff. He didn't sit down and say, come to me, children, and listen to my good service. He went around touching people. Demons didn't follow him. Some of y'all think that the devil messed with him. The devil didn't want to be near him. The devil never harassed Jesus. Jesus invaded his territory territory jesus went into his domain jesus continually broke into the realms of the satanic and set people free don't tell me the devil's chasing him he chased the devil and don't tell me the devil has to chase you get up and turn around and chase him in the name of jesus man i acted mad then but i wasn't it was just zeal danny We're empowered by the Lord. The last one. Somebody say amen. Oh, be nice about it. You're supernaturally anointed and ordained. Why, do, why does that mean any different than the other one? Well, the other one is you're fully equipped. But a lot of people are equipped... But they don't realize they have a supernatural anointing. You see, a true anointing is a divine ability that gives you the privilege to do something that's beyond normal, beyond physical, beyond your mental understanding, beyond psychological. And people, i got to tell you, you guys think that some of these big TV guys are so anointed. You know, some of them aren't that anointed, they've got a lot of momentum going. I can guarantee you my brother Inc. right there is anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. For this God who has established us and who has redeemed us has also put inside of us the anointing. The anointing that you have abides in you. It doesn't leave you. It's not Old Testament stuff. It comes on you. Hallelujah, I can do something. Then he leaves me, and I'm just the same old guy. No, no, that's Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. This anointing, uh, the writer uh, writer says, John the Beloved, he said, this anointing abides in you. You ought not have people have to teach you that. He will never leave you. Even when you have a bad day, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is still there. You may not use it. You may waste it, but the anointing is always with you. You can't lose the anointing. You can't get a pinnacle. Pentecostal anointing, you can't get a charismatic anointing, you can't get Church of God, Baptist, Nazarene, uh, ex-Presbyterianite, whatever. You can't, that ain't an anointing, that's a denomination. Some of y'all won't let God anoint you and, and free you from the limitations of what your denomination taught you. You need to at least be willing to say, you know what, Father God, you're bigger than all of our denominations put together. The Pentecostals don't have any more anointing than a Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Nazarene. We don't have any more anointing than they do. Because he is the anointing. And, and the difference between people who do miracles and signs and wonders for God isn't how much of the Holy Ghost they have. It's always been how much of you does he have. If you give him your pride and quit worrying about whether it comes out in tongues or whatever, stop that. Don't hinder God. Stop, don't, don't be like David had to write or, or, or Paul wrote about the, in Psalms there. It was written that they limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited him. God, forgive us as a church, as a people. Forgive us for the times we've limited you. Not that you're bigger than God, but He chose only to work through you in your willingness and in your desire to be used by Him. He won't force you to be powerful. But God, you've enforced us by your power. Would you stand and thank you? I hope this sermon made sense. You can ask sweet Helen, I I critique myself too much. I can go home after a service, we've seen people healed, delivered of demons, saved, restored. I'll go home and say, honey, you think I missed it? (laughs) She said, you're missing it right now. And I just tell you, uh, you think you really need God, but I gotta tell you something, brother. Back, I love you. I I know you. We've met before in the dark. I love, you look handsome, G, GQ guy with the beard. Yeah. What's your first name? Chris. You are so needed by God. Some of y'all think, oh, I need God. Oh, I just hope you'll understand that. And you'll beg Him. You'll cry at times, especially when you've had a bad reaction that day. And, and you don't realize that if Jesus were here, He would say to you, I need you. I need you to be healed. I need you to be restored. I need you to be free. Not so you can work for me so hard, but I just need you. That's why Jesus said to the people, and I think it would still be true for us today, Pastor, in Luke 22, and and, and it's, it's written in the Word, but watch this, Jesus goes to some people and He says, oh, wow, and this is after many people have left Him and betrayed Him and even His own disciples, and He says, oh, wow, you are those who stayed with me. You stayed with me? in my trial you stayed with me and didn't quit on me he said I just want to bless you with the same kingdom my daddy gave me Luke 22 verse 28 you can read it later there's something about Jesus that says Dan thank you son that even all these times you could have left me by what people have done to you by what happened to you in the world by what jobs have done and and sometimes you even failed God to the point where you felt like man I need to leave God he don't deserve me And I just hear the Lord saying to all of you tonight, thank you for not leaving me. But since you stayed with me, will you let me at least anoint you with my kingdom? Not your denominational kingdoms or your psychological kingdoms or philosophical kingdoms. Would would you let me anoint you with my kingdom, Cheryl? Because my kingdom is always saturated with supernatural manifestations, signs and wonders. Jesus said, the moment you saw me cast out a devil by the finger, and by the way, I think he was saying the pinky. Jesus don't have to use the big finger to cast the devil out. He can use his pinkies. But he says, the moment I cast them out, you may as well know the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus never intended the kingdom of God to be a bunch of satisfied people who do a lot of potluck dinners. He's always wanted the kingdom of God to be the most effective, supernaturally charged, and anointed group of people in the whole world. I'm just going to ask this, and this is, this is almost impossible, but we'll feel. I'm just going to ask everybody in here, unless you hate me. Oh, no, I shouldn't say that. Somebody might not be able to come up, and then I'm going to go home and say, oh, they hate me. I'm going to ask you to come up. Let's all stand. Men, men, do me a favor. Let's, let's let the men come up on the platform. Come on. Or if you're almost a man. <laughs> or if you're half man. Yeah, hey. I like it. Oh, Clint put his hands on Danny's shoulder when I said almost a man. He said, that's okay, Danny. You go up anyway. Come up here. There's a reason for all this. We don't have time to minister to everybody, but we've got time to let God do something corporate. And then, ladies, after the men, even the slow ones, after they get up here, you got, ladies, you come up and fill up this part. I love you guys. Whoa, whoa, there's some men getting stuck in the women's department. We need to report them to security. Get up here. (laughs) Park the waters there, uh, sweetie. Tap them on the shoulder, Aaron. Say, I need to get through. Oh, okay. Good. Let her sit right there in that first chair. That's awesome. She can sit down there if she wants. Man, look at these men you have. Gosh, where'd you go? Oh, gosh. You can come up too, Luke. We won't worry about that. If it goes crazy, it goes crazy. Watch out, big Luke's coming. Make room. Part the waters. Ladies, come on. I'm not going to touch you or blow on you or anything. I'm a. Well, I might though. I just want you to be closer. We need to let God have a. There's something about the closeness of a body of believers. You know, this brother here doesn't even go to our kind of church, but man, I love him. He's full of the Holy Ghost. I just met Dale first time tonight, and it ain't because my oldest son's named Dale. It's because I love you, Dale. <laughs> hey, Dale. I love you. What's your name? Juan. My name Juan too. No, I'm Juan Juan. I'm number Juan, and you're number Juan Juan. That's neat. That means John in my language, right? I'm John, you're Juan. What's your name, brother? Oh, Luis! You... Oh, forgive me, Pastor. I didn't... I didn't know that was your son. Can I polish your shoes or something? Whoa! Do you have any other relatives here tonight? What? Well, who? His wife and You are... Which one of you is his wife? You're his daughter God bless you What a joy I know what size my mouth is It's ten and a half D I've, I've tried it for years I just want us to Make our own heart commitment to God God, by your power and your anointing and your great commissioning spirit, I'm going to become a great commission person. Listen, we don't need... You know what? Teenagers can get weird. You know that. We used to be one. They said that about... But you know what? That's why God uses them. I don't want them to, to have to jump through our loopholes and act like us. The Great Commission works through the person God created. He wants Jesus to be shown through them, through the expression of how they express things. To a point. (laughs) And then the old ones, like me, He wants to use us in the element that we're in. Your problem is, you keep thinking they have to change like you, and you have to change. No, no, no. Be who God created you to be, and just let Jesus come forth. There's a thousand souls, more than a thousand souls, represented right here tonight. In the next year, that would come to Jesus Christ if we we'll all just receive this right now. And that when I'm in a, re- I have had more people get saved and healed and delivered in restaurants, in uh, rest areas, in crazy places, because I didn't see them as a person who needs to get to my church. But I saw them as a person who needed Jesus to get to them. Don't ever pray, Lord, give us this city. That's not your prayer. Your prayer is, Lord, give us to this city. The greatest miracles that are about to happen will not happen in front of this altar. Thank God you'll still have some. But the greatest miracles are about to happen through your hands, your mouth, your heart, your spirit and the gifts of God through you. Some of them will want to come to your church, and that's awesome. Some of them will never come to this church, and that's okay too. Because our goal isn't that we're going to fill the pews. Our goal is we're going to fill heaven. That should always be your goal. Why don't you first, and I'm going to do it, put your hands on your own heart or somewhere near I don't know where your heart some people's hearts might be differently located I don't know <sighs> I just want you to tell Jesus in your own words how much you love him tonight and how much you appreciate who he is in your life just tell him just verbalize that to him Jesus I love you so much and I thank you for how you redeemed me and saved me and brought your spirit to live inside of me I praise you Jesus I praise you that I'm redeemed. I'm one of your sons or daughters. I praise you that you've chosen me. You've chosen me. Of all the people, you chose me. And I, I, I want you in your own words as well. And, and uh, this one may require that you'd raise your hands. I've been in churches where I'd say raise your hands. And I knew it was a multi-denominational uh, church. The Methodists would go this high. That's okay. Methodist hand raised. Hallelujah. Uh, uh, Presbyterians will get about about there. Nazarenes, they go there. Now, some Baptists are crazy. They go up here. And then Pentecostals don't know what to do. They just wave them everywhere. <laughs> but God sees it, and he, he, he loves it that you'd even raise a finger to Him. But I want us to raise our hands and just say, Lord, it doesn't matter what age I am. There's always the power and love and graces and spirit of Jesus in me. And he wants to express himself through me. And Father, tonight I give myself to you in a new way to become a living expression of the glory of God. Lord, thank you for all the people that know the verses and all this. They're afraid to even argue with the Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't care about that. Lord, let us know it's not about argumentation or overpowering somebody's theology. It's about revealing somebody. And his name is Jesus. And let us become people who just release Jesus to love them, to touch them, to heal them if necessary. We will become the great Commission people in this last days, Father. Jesus you will never suffer by not having a generation not only that calls you Lord but a generation that will live in your Lordship and will minister to people the dynamics of who you are in Jesus mighty name just tell the Lord I'm that person Lord I'm that person Hallelujah! And let's just praise Him now. Just raise your voices and your hands. Just praise Him. You don't have to praise Him for anything. Just praise Him. We love You. We praise You. We glorify You. We are Your living, Your living church. Hallelujah! We glorify the Lamb of God. And see, just remember this. Just remember this one statement. It's not a biggie. This church and this system that we belong in, called Foursquare we got to quit seeing ourselves as an organization that is man's attempt to structure something and God works through that don't go saying he doesn't but you're an organism an organism is alive an organization can just be dead form but organisms have life they pump they get blood pastor this church is an organism for God healthy one at that So I just release you and these people to become a great commission people. In Jesus' name. Amen.